Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years of journalism between the two of us, over 35, covering sports in the H. If you're a long timer, you know I know me don't sound like this. My jaw still uh, very frozen after some surgery, but uh, we got some good stuff to talk about Astros and Texans and Shaw. The Astros, they've lost six of their last eight games. They're missing three of their top five starting pitchers. Jordan's out indefinitely. They're five games back of the Rangers right now. Would you bet your house on a division title or wild card knowing all this information? There's not going to be a 2023 play- playoffs without the Astros. So I may not be that confident in saying that they're going to win the division right now because I don't feel like for you know a long time now, up until really this past week, people have been giving the Rangers the respect that they deserve. They very well could win this division, but the Astros are going to make the playoffs. I'm pretty confident of that. Um, you know, I, I know what's going on up in the AL East. Every darn team up there is legit playing some good baseball. There's not one stinker amongst them. And uh, who would have thunk it, you know, after so many years? I, I can't even recall last. I mean, I guess you have to look back to maybe the early to mid-90s when the Baltimore Orioles were regarded as like, hey, this is a legit-looking ball club finally. Um, you'd have to go back maybe maybe to the Rafael Palmero days and to the uh, Miguel Tejada days in Baltimore. But um, I, I feel safe to say that, yeah, the Astros are going to cinch up one of those wild card spots at the very least. Well, they're third in the AL in run differential, only behind the Rangers and the Rays. They lead all of baseball in ERA. That's the good news, Sean. The bad news yeah. is they're 14th in run scored as we record this on Monday night. So it, it's about the offense at this point, and, and we know it. it is. The pitching is kind of been the silver lining um, all season long. I mean, and who would have thunk that, <laughs> you know, with what you opened the show with? No Garcia or Keedy out, no McCullers. He may never come back this season. Um, who knows? The Astros are certainly going to be looking uh, to see who's available out there to see if they can bolster their pitching staff. Uh, I have to believe because you never have enough. That that's just it. You never have enough. I mean, can they continue to overcompensate? You know, for the lack of offense, I don't think they'll need to. To be quite honest with you, I mean, I was just sitting back. Uh, you know, today, no game, off day. You know, first time in you know nearly three weeks. I've really had a chance to sit back and think about this team, and. As many struggles, you know, with injury as they have had to this point, guys starting slow, just not performing up to their capability, to their track record, I'm still not freaking out about this ball club. And maybe it's because of everything that's happened over the course of the last six years. Um, I think it's probably that. But I also think it's what I've been, you know, talking about all season long. Maybe it sounds like I've been beating a dead horse, but these guys are who they are. We know them. You know, Bregman's of the world, Tucker's of the world, Altuve and Jordan, you know, we have expectations. And while they might not have all have met them to this point in the season, I'm not anticipating a steep drop off by any one of them this season. I'm looking for Altuve to get healthy and get in a rhythm, Bregman to continue to start balling and find more consistency, Tucker to uh, earn that massive contract that he wants one day, Um, Jordan. I expect him to be injured, you know, every once in a while. Um, he's not an Iron Man, but if the guy can give me 125, 135 ball games in a season, I'm happy. I, I, I think the offense will improve. 
I think the pitching has been the silver lining. I think it will continue to be the strength of this ball club until the offense gets going, and it will get going. It's it's too talent-rich not to. I'm going to ask you something, and, and this is for everybody watching and listening. If you're on YouTube, give us a comment on this. But without Jordan in the lineup, Jake Myers likely playing center field pretty much every day, and that leaves two of these four hitters that could be in the lineup. Sean, which of these two do you want to see play the most? Chaz McCormick, Corey Jolks, Mauricio Dubon, or Yadier Diaz? Pick two of those four that you want to see get the most at-bats without Jordan. I'd have to go off the top of my head, and maybe we could talk through this a little bit more because I know you can make some really good points for all four seeing time. I think it's important because they all bring something different to the table. But I'll say Dubon uh, because of the nature in which he's been getting on base, the defense, whether it be at second base or the outfield, I just know the guy's going to ball for you. And then I'll say Corey Jokes. And I didn't think I would say that at any point in time this year. I thought he'd be a nice complimentary piece. I knew he had some game. But this guy almost has, you know, not not just surpassed, but, I mean, it, he fits in. Like, this is he's doing what he's meant to do. The guy's a ball player. And I think he's figured that out now. And I think the Astros have figured that out. Like this guy's a player for us, for a World Series championship contending team. That's how they view themselves this year, as they should. And that's how Jolks is playing, like he could be a series contributor. I mean, I know what Chaz gives you on a regular basis. There's no doubt about that. There's not a real reason at this point in time. And you can unfortunately, you know, tip your cap to Jose Abreu for that and Jordan Alvarez for his most recent injury, there's a way that you could effectively get the very best out of at least three of the four of those guys without playing them out of position in any circumstance. You know, we've seen Corey Jokes, DH, earlier on this season within the first 10, 15 ball games. That's a spot that he could maintain. Diaz could play first base as you look to kind of fade Jose Abreu out. I know over the course of the last few games, he's hitting a little bit better, had back-to-back home run days. Fine. I'm going to give him every opportunity to see if he can get that going. But if he doesn't, you know what you have on your bench. But I, at the same time, dude, I mean, it goes back to your question. You know, which one of those four? A gun to my head, I got to go Jolks and Dubon. I mean, I feel like those two guys in the lineup at any given point give you the best chance to win. Yeah, it's interesting because it's unfortunate that all four of those guys, and, and we're talking basically left field and DH, that's where Jordan plays. All four of those guys hit from the right side of the plate. So, you know, you could be, you know, doing lefty righty, but you can't do that because of that. Yeah. And of course, Yadier Diaz is going to be uh, doing some some work as catcher. So he's going to be in the lineup there sometimes. But my feeling is, the guy that's got to get plate appearances is Mauricio Dubon because, you know, their their OPSs are all pretty similar. Yeah. But I would say this, Sean, Mauricio Dubon has hit for more average than any of these guys, and maybe we're destined to see that drop. But when, the, when all the OPSs are the same, I go with average because average means that you're getting base hits, and if there's guys on base, then that means you're knocking in runs. Or you're setting the table. You know, I, I like how Dubon's been leading off Altuve second. I know it hasn't yielded wins, 
you know, yet, but there's a lot of other things at play with this ball club versus, you know, just how Dusty's making out the lineup card. I mean, you saw the battle that it was, you know, the last couple of games on the mound for these pitchers in a crazy 10-9 ball game in Cleveland the other day. And then, you know, you lose a, a, a close one and, you know, the bullpen's got to come together. Look, we it's kind of the, the same story that we've been talking about all season long. And they, hey, they had a really good stretch, a good three, four week stretch of playing some really solid baseball where they all kind of started to seem to come together. You know, they were inching up on the Rangers, got within, you know, a couple games, maybe a game and a half, I think, at its best here recently. Now it's five. I I just think that these guys will come together um, again, and there's going to be a sticking point. And who that is, is it Altuve, you know, like, hey, it's definitive, like this dude's back, or Jordan comes back with a flourish, or Bregman just takes his game to another level, or, you know, Hunter Brown just continues to emerge and, you know, uh, takes another step. I don't know what it is, but something will happen. This ball club's too good. You know what? Maybe at the end of the day, and you're still inside of two months before the deadline come August 1st, but maybe it's a Dana Brown move. Maybe he gets a guy in here that, you know, is that versatile left-handed bat that he's, you know, seemingly coveting right now. Maybe it's a first baseman type. I don't know. Whoever it is, though, that could be the guy that binds it all together, kind of reminiscent of 2017 when the Astros, they needed that extra dude on the mound. And Jim Crane made it happen, went out and got Justin Verlander, and the rest has been history. We'll see what happens this year if Dana Brown's, you know, talk of aggressiveness, you know, lends itself to actually walking the walk. But it may take that. I just don't think the Astros really are in that desperate of a need right now. I know what the standings say. But I also know what this ball club's capable of. And I also know what they've done to this point. They're 37 and 29. They're five games behind the Rangers who have been playing stupid baseball. But you get in the mix. You stay in the mix. This is a darn good ball club. And at the end of the day, I trust the talent that's already on it. Yeah, I I keep hearing people talk about all these trades that the Astros need to make. They need to get a first baseman and a starting pitcher. And I keep going back to the fact that I don't know what they've got to trade. Their minor league system is not great right now. And there's not a lot of guys that have stepped up this year and have really gone, oh, my God, this guy's going to be somebody that we can either bring up or we can use in a trade. And, and that's my concern, Sean, is everybody's talking about, well, Dana Brown's got to do something, but you got to have stuff to do it with. Just trying to think it through. I mean, this is something you really need to put down on paper and have a good lengthy discussion about. But for years, Robert, when we're talking about adding a piece, right, um, whether it be in the bullpen or a starting pitcher or another hitter, it's always easy to say, ah, we don't want to touch what we got, you know, in the dugout every day. We don't want to touch what we're trotting out there on the field of nine every single day. But you know what? Sometimes you might have to look there. And where is there a, the biggest log jam right now with talent, right? And it's kind of funny because Michael Brantley might not as well even been being wearing an Astros uniform right now. Well, if you're going to say that the, if you're going to say the log jams in the outfield, if you got, why is somebody going to give you a hitter Uh, for outfielders that, you know, that you think aren't deserving to be in the lineup anyway? I mean, to be be like, okay, outfielders don't bring you back elite guys. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, it's not going to be a 1v1, but maybe that's the, stall, the, the straw that stirs the drink, if you will. And maybe there's a scenario out there where you see a team 
that has got kind of like the Astros do, but a lot closer to their contract ending at first base with the Astros. They're paying Abreu nearly $20 million a year for the next three years. Maybe they got somebody in the outfield position, a corner spot, maybe center field spot, whatever, that they feel like, you know what, like we're going to offload this guy and we're going to retool next year. This ball club needs a better hitter. They need somebody that can play first base as well. We'll go ahead and take maybe a future left fielder for us, if it's a Jolks, if it's a McCormick or center field position, whatever the case may be, if Myers is a guy. And maybe you do sweeten it with a couple of minor leaguers. Certainly, we do know this. The Astros maybe aren't you know, littering the top 100 in Baseball America's rankings, but they've got some talent you know, in the farm system. Whether you believe it or not, I mean, we're seeing it come to fruition right now, this season, right before our eyes. Maybe that's a way that you get that extra bat. I don't know. All I'm telling you is however creative Dana Brown maybe needs to get, it might come via somebody that you're regularly seeing trot out uh, every day, every other day in this lineup already. That's That might be what it takes. It, it, you can't just say, hey, here's... Here's a boatload of minor leaguers. Let's get the guy that we need. You know, at some point, it might be that point this season where the Astros just don't have enough in their arsenal to do that. Yeah, and that's fine. If, if he can do it with these guys, I don't mind giving up these guys. But, yeah, that that's fine. One other thing with the Astros that I, I heard this morning on 97.5, mm-hmm. Brian Presley was asked, what makes Martin Maldonado so great? Because I think Astros fans, and you know this, Sean, they get confused. Why is he out there all the time? We need to see more Diaz or whoever. Yeah. And Brian Presley said, quote, we'll be on the plane and literally the entire plane is dark, but one light is on. He's got a computer on one side, another laptop on the other side, his notes right in front of him. We're talking about Martin Maldonado, as Presley's talking about. And then he said, it's not just that, but he can read your swing behind the plate and change the entire scouting report just like that. There are things he can see, but we can't, Sean. It's fantastic. And that's the um um that 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 that's a level of you know value that you know you you can't put a number to. There's no advanced analytic, you know, that you could say, hey, this is what he brings. And I'll kind of dumb it down to this. And it's not just this, but I've thought about this for the last couple of years with Maldonado, especially as a, and even he knows this, if he's a guy that's not going to be able to regularly contribute at the plate offensively, you have to do everything in your power to be the very best at that one thing. What is that one thing for Martin Maldonado saying that, you know, he's a great handler. The pitching staff isn't enough, you know, for a guy, in my opinion, that has, you know, coaching managing in his future. I've seen him. We've watched him, you know, kind of be in that role this season when he takes it upon himself, you know, to say, hey, you know, pitching coach, stay there, you know, manager, stay there. I don't need you to come out. I'm going to talk to the pitcher. I'm going to talk to the infield. I'm going to give the situation. I'm going to tell them what's going on, what the scouting report is, what I've witnessed, what I've studied. You know, I think we've seen that. And whatever those conversations have been or are or will be on the mound, that is that, you know, added value that only a Martin Maldonado can bring. If you're going to not deliver in one in one aspect of the game, then you better over-deliver in the other. And I think he's certainly done that. But I think this is something that he needs to do. He knows he has to do it. But 
he also has a gift where he's able to see things and understand things and pick up on things that the coaching staff or analytics department just simply may not. And I, I think that's that's huge. That is the value of a Martin Maldonado. Yeah, and we were talking about a little bit with Steven last week, you know, Maldonado versus Diaz and, and that sort mm. of thing. One thing that I think I failed to mention is, you know, Dusty's always playing the long game. You know, he likes to rest guys. We saw on Sunday, he trotted out a spring training lineup because they had a day off coming up and it had been a long stretch. And I get all that. But what I would say to Dusty is, if you're playing the long game, you need to rest Maldonado longer because the guy's like mid-30s. What is he, 35, 36 now? And there's no point in running him out there 120 games a season if you're resting him four out of five days. Maybe back it off a little bit. Get it down to where he's more on a pace for 90 or 100 if if you truly believe this is a playoff team. Do you think Maldonado is going to make that much of a difference if he's out of the lineup? You know, maybe 20 more games or something like that. That that's my question because we like we said last week we didn't see it in the ERA but just you know if, if you want to win in the playoffs it doesn't matter if Maldonado is the, your best bet in the regular season if he's not got the legs in the playoffs then you're sunk anyway. Hey, understood, understood. You know, I think if I'm Dusty, I'm looking at the situation that. It's been with your starting staff, with the J.P. France of Brandon Bielak and a young pitcher in Hunter Brown. And there's a guy in Martin Maldonado that you want out there more times than not, behind the plate for those guys, going out there and talking to those guys, just working through a game. Because at this point in time, you're going to need all of those guys to get to where you want to get to again this year. You know, look, it is early still. You know, relatively speaking, um, I know a lot of people are getting a little nervous looking at the, you know, standings and the box score here recently, but you're five games behind the Rangers right now, and they know that, and you can't let that get away from you because, you know, there's some other really good ball clubs over there in the AL East that we've been talking about, and, you know, one, quite honestly, behind you, and the Angels, which, you know, a week and a half ago, they were four or five ball games behind you, and now they're a game and a half out of second place in your division. So, I mean, this thing is going to go just like this until the Astros kind of figure things out, get some key guys healthy, and producing at the same time, coming together, playing championship baseball like we've seen over the last six years. And if you're Dusty Baker, you you got to weigh things because what he knows now, at least right now, is that, you know what, Diaz could be a contributor. Okay, in terms of his bat, we can stick him at first base if need be. But where's he at in terms of comfortability and having a Diaz out there handling a younger staff versus a Maldonado? And I think that's what Dusty, an old school manager, is is weighing a guy that is a real people person, a player's coach, you know, is is trying to find that balance. And you know what? It might hurt a little bit right now. But you know what? I'll liken it to this. Who's that Stanford kid? Uh, last night, he threw 156 pitches on the mound in like a five-run ball game, right? And complete game. The last time any major leaguers thrown 156 pitches in a game was 2005. Okay, and I bring that up to say this is, you know, there's there's sometimes a guy that understands he's reached a limit and will bow to the manager, understand that, hey, it's best for the team that he come out. 
I don't think Maldonado is one of those guys either. I think he knows the value that he brings, like we just talked about, and understands that I got to grit it out right now. As much as this may suck, as much as it may hurt, and we know the guy can play through injury, just i.e. last postseason with the sports hernia and all the crap that he was going through. Team needs me right now. I may not be bringing it at the plate, but I'm going to bring it in other areas. Yeah, and yeah. Nobody's there's no, the no, not, not a question as far as Maldonado and whether he wants to play hurt or whether he wants to play. This is about Dusty and his decision. And look, you talk about the playoffs. They've added all these teams now to where mm-hmm. you, you said the Angels, that's the only thing you should matter, the second second place, because you're you're getting into the playoffs if you're the second team in the AL West. No matter the way that's set up right now, you get it as a second team. And they that's the team you gotta worry about fighting off at the moment. You mm-hmm. don't worry about anybody else in the American <laughs> League. You worry about the second place team and the, the second and third place teams in the AL West. You got to be the second place team. Right. Right. And they're a game and a half out right now. That's exactly who you have to worry about. And you get a long homestand coming up, nine games. You go, you, you got the Nats, you got the Reds, you got the Mets coming in, and you have an opportunity to play some of your best ball after a, a long stretch of no days off. You get a couple of guys a break, you know, for your regular starters. I mean, this is a huge time. It's a huge time. They've got to play some of their best ball of the season, and they have to do it at home right now to create a little bit of a buffer. And it, it, it's a great time to do it because just around the corner, you got another little break coming up, the all-star break, which, um, I mean, who knows what that could mean for the Houston Astros. I mean, nobody's holding their breath, Robert, but there is a lot of reason to be excited, intrigued about, you know, the next month plus because of what Dana Brown maybe does ahead of the trade deadline, because yeah, yeah. maybe Lance McCullers does surprise us and, you know, come back no, and no, offer something. No, 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 no. Maybe no, Michael no. Brantley does offer something. <laughs> no. um, let's see how no. Jose or Kitty comes back and pitches, you know, off of his rehab. You know, Luis Garcia is not coming back, but there's also, you know, room for improvement for guys that, Hey, look, we're familiar with, we know what they're capable of. Montero's got to be better. Stanek's got to be better. You know, we've seen Presley blow a couple of uh, close games here over the course of the last month. I'm sure there's some things that he needs to tighten up and work on. And so you get through this little hump, but you get your guys to carry you that you expect to carry you when a Jordan's out, when you're short-staffed. And those are your Bregmans, those are your Tuckers, those are your Altuve's. I mean, you've been getting contributions all season long from McCormick and Jolks um, and Dubon, things that are not expected in Diaz. Um, those guys are pulling their weight. They can only do so much. It's time for that star power to kind of show through now and get the job done between now and the All-Star break. Yeah, I'm just looking around here trying to figure out uh, where I could get that stuff you're smoking that McCullers and Brantley is going to be back. But we got to talk about the guy over my shoulder right until now. The nail, until the nail is in the coffin, I mean, I'm going to remain positive. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What, whatever. I know you will, Sean. I'm just telling you, like, there's don't hold your breath on that. Uh, we we got to talk about – forget all that. We got to talk about the guy over my shoulder <laughs> because, you know, they announced they're putting J.J. Watt in the ring of honor October 1st when they play the Steelers. And yeah. it's very cool that his brother TJ is going to be there for the big day. I guess that's the story coming out today. Yeah, I mean, um, you couldn't have picked a better game to do it, right? Um, TJ oh, yeah. is going to be on the other sideline looking at this happen in front of him, you know, with all the fanfare. I was just thinking about this earlier. It's probably going to be the most raucous environment 
at NRG since the Bills Texans wildcard playoff game in 2020. Probably, right? I mean, not even opening day of, you know, the 2020 season because you'd offloaded DeAndre Hopkins. Fans were pissed off at that situation. Um, and <laughs> you kind of saw it, you know, unfolding before your eyes, you know, the 4 and 12 season. But it's going to be a great day at NRG, man, against the Steelers. Um, TJ is going to be there. And I started thinking about this. Obviously, it's well-deserving. We could talk about J.J. Watt accolades all day. But, I mean, we're not going to say anything that hadn't already been said. Who's the next Texan that should go in after J.J. Watt? You know, that's a question I heard somebody ask earlier today. And I'm like, that that question shouldn't even exist. Well, the, be- the better question, the one I wanted to ask you is, will we see any Texans who played it down since their very first game uh, in, in existence get in the ring of honor? Or is the next person who gets in not even played a game for the Texans yet? Uh, I won't go that far. I think the next guy that gets in was likely drafted within the last two years. So it's pretty close to what you just said. And obviously I'm looking at a Jalen Petrie, a Derek Stingley, a Will Anderson, a CJ Stroud. Those are my top four. If I had to give you five, um, I mean, (laughs) it's like pulling teeth. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, But no, look, your, your obvious ones, like for guys that are maybe most deserving, but maybe not deserving to be in, a ring of honor, much less the Texans ring of honor, like Jonathan Joseph, Arian Foster. Like if those guys were going to go in after JJ Watt, like I feel like they probably should have been in already anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like Arian's been done. Jonathan Joseph has been done. They've had the opportunity to do that. Um, I I just think a key part of it is for any ring of honor, um, for any sort of honor respected to a sport, you don't obviously have to finish your career as, you know, a member of that franchise, but everything that you did that was the most impactful to your sport, that was the most meaningful, had to have come in that uniform. And longevity has a lot to do with that. And J.J. Watt obviously did, you know, all of those things with the Defensive Player of the Year awards, you know, all the accolades. He did it as a Houston Texan. And sure, he finished a, a really – uh, good season for him uh, for a really bad team in the Arizona Cardinals, but he deserves the ring of honor. I mean, you could have put him in five years ago and people would have been good with that um, for the Texans, but Arian Foster, Jonathan Joseph, I just don't see it happening. I don't think they're really deserving to be quite honest with you. Good players, but just not ring of honor players, uh, not hall of fame players. You know, if you will, I think the next guys were drafted in the last couple of years for the Texans. If that. All right, let's talk about a guy that's been drafted in the last two or three years. Great observation from USA Today's uh, Texans analyst, John Cruffler, is a friend of the show. He said, Nico Collins mentioned that Bobby Slowick has him watching Julio Jones clips from Atlanta as a similar receiver-style comparison for the scheme that the Texans are running. And under Slovak's yeah. old boss, Kyle Shanahan, Julio Jones in 2016, Sean, had 83 receptions, 1,409 yards and six touchdowns. That's pretty, I mean, maybe they think he could be, you know, who knows? I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's going to be that good, but similar maybe. Uh, You know, I mean, this is not uncommon. I mean, coaches have you look at guys that you think you have similar skill sets to or, you know, what you could aspire to be athletically in the minds of, you know, your coaches. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it happens all the time. I was there when Slowick. Um, you know, um, 
Nico rather said that. I, I forget what pointed pointed question he was asked that I even uh, brought that up. But I was there for that last week, um, and I didn't bat an eye at it. I was like, good. You know, you should be watching guys that have been there, done that. Um, I don't I don't care necessarily about body type. You know, all of that stuff. I care about um, the will for you to just be better. And Nico Collins didn't answer a darn question in his media availability. You know, there was no substance to it. Um, the guy's just got his head down. He's focused. He understands that he has to be better, that he wants to be better. That, to me, is what came through in that availability. Um, there wasn't much you could write about it. It was just a guy up there that there ain't nothing to talk about yet because there ain't nothing to talk about yet. He ain't done it. Um, but he's excited that he has a quarterback to throw him some balls this year to where he can maybe reach his uh, full potential. Let me ask you, how much of Nico Collins not doing it yet has to do with Davis Mills and how much of it has to do with Nico Collins? If you could put a percentage on w- w- which – part is it 40 percent davis mills and 60 percent nico collins what do you think you know i i i think 60 40 is probably fair you know if you wanted to go 65 35 um davis mills you know being the majority favorite um not just mills i think system i think situation you know it doesn't just come down to a quarterback. I mean, we're talking about how revamped this offensive line is, right? That has had a lot to do with the lack of success from the Texans offensively. Um, for a quarterback, the lack of talent in the receiver core as a whole, the system in which they are running, okay, all of it works together. It's just been a horrible situation. And you and I have talked about this before, Robert specifically more so with the Rockets than the Texans, but we've talked about this too, is that when you're at a point in time with these organizations that aren't trying to be good, they're not trying to win, but the coaches out there on the field that are busting their butt, you know, 12, 14, 15 hour days, whatever it is, they're trying to get better. They're trying to win. They're trying to do their best, but it, it, it just doesn't jive. It doesn't mesh well with the overall roster, with the overall objective. There's not one goal there's not one culture there's a lot of me's and there's a lot of eyes in there now you've got an established culture this this is the uh, what an nfl organization is supposed to look like sound like feel like um it's how they're vibing and i think nico's ready for that it's a it's a team that's turned the page and so now you get a chance to see kind of like what nico collins and a lot of these guys that you've hung on to over the course of the last you know three years four years in some cases, like what they're really made of, you know, who they really are as players that are around a winning culture, a good system, good coaching, better players. And my gosh, there are a lot of better players in that locker room right now. Um, I just, I think you're going to see it. You know, people talking about over under five and a half wins this year for the Texans. I know you and I always kind of look at each other and say, you know what? Vegas knows. Vegas knows. Well, I don't know what the hell they know right now, but I feel like I know that this is a much improved roster right now. And you're going to see some things for some guys this year that are highly unexpected because of the brainwashing that you thought uh, you knew X, Y, Z about, you know, these players in years past. They're going to surprise you. I think Nigo could be one of them. 
mini camp this week. Any thoughts going into mini camp? Any Texans uh, stuff that you're looking out for as we headed to mini camp? Yeah, uh, you know, just it's mandatory mini camp, getting bodies in the house. Uh, there was a report today by Aaron Wilson, Stephen Nelson, the cornerback who's in the final year of a two-year, ten million dollar contract. He's expected to show up to mandatory mini camp, and maybe the Texans work something out with him, whether it be a new deal. Um, you know, maybe they end up trading him. I don't know what the situation is going to be. I'd certainly like to keep him. I like what he did last year, you know, in the secondary for the Texans. But it's going to be good to see just all of the guys out there. And C.J. Stroud just kind of working with the entire team. It, one of the biggest things that, you know, I think we all noticed being out there in each of the last three, four weeks with the uh, OTAs is these practices were run very similarly to how you would see a regular season NFL practice. Very similar to what we saw last year with the Texans under Lovey Smith. Just the overall structure, just boom, boom, boom. I mean, not a lot of downtime, just a lot of movement, not a lot of stoppage and coaching in between, and just a good flow to the practice. I think getting everybody in for mandatory minicamp and running through uh, what you're going to be doing during the regular season is going to be very beneficial for all of your young guys. Obviously, C.J. Stroud, see if he takes some more steps, if he gets more reps with the ones. Uh, Clearly, we know this right now. Whatever the Texans' plan has been to this point, he's the number two. What does this next phase of preparation for the regular season mean for C.J. Stroud and so many of the young guys? I think we'll have to wait and see, but I think that's what we should all keep an eye on. Last thing I wanted to hit was Mark Berman. This is his last day, I believe, uh, that he will be covering Houston sports. First time in 43 years uh, on Tuesday that he will not be covering Houston sports. Uh, it's been a hell of a run for Mark Berman. Uh, in the last year, we've lost him and John McClain, who I you think. Didn't lose John. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we lost him for the, we lost him for the Chronicle. He's sort of retired, but I guess he's not really retired because he's still doing stuff for you guys over at 610. But uh, Mark Berman, it, it hasn't sounded like he's going to go, uh, do something else. He he says that this is it for him. Uh, what are your thoughts on on Berman's retirement? I don't know. Somebody, uh, I think it was McLean that was talking about him uh, last week. Um, you know, said or maybe it was somebody about McLean who made the analogy. I can't remember what it is now, but you know, look, you you think it's it, and then you get a phone call. You miss it. You know, you're out of it for a few weeks. You're out of it for a few months. I mean, just think about this. Like, I saw Mark Berman actually uh, last week driving through the parking lot of Michael's. <laughs> okay. Like, when does this guy have time to go shopping at Michael's? Granted, could have been Best Buy. I don't know. Maybe he was looking for a new microphone or a new recording device, something like that. I don't know. I'm not judging. Could have been Michael's. Who knows? Um, but when's the last time you saw him have time? Like, I've noticed the change in Mark, you know, over the course of the last year. Like, he's been a lot nicer, you know, to people around him, more welcoming to people, not necessarily me. I don't know what he has against me, but, you know, whatever. I just keep my head down and I plow. Um, but he's a good dude. People respect him. People love him. You saw the tributes on social media and stuff like that today. He has he doesn't, you know, strike me as a type of, like, I'm going to, uh, you know, stay away for weeks or months and then come back and do something. I mean – I think he's done. I think he's riding off into the sunset. I think he's going to spend time with his family, you know, take care of his rabbits, I think is what he's into now. So um, 
that's uh, that's Berman for you. Um, and I think he's going to enjoy it. You know, maybe, maybe every once in a while you might hear him, uh, you know, as a guest on somebody's radio show. But I don't think that's anytime soon. I think what made Berman so special and really it's like he's a dying breed. Um, and I don't even know if yeah. the breed was that was that alive to begin with. But Mark Berman breaks stories for a local market. And you hear about the Adrian Wojnarowski's or the Sham Sharania or, uh, you know, whoever, Adam Schefter. You hear about all those guys, but you don't hear very often of local guys breaking stories. And, you know, nobody works. Nobody works harder than Mark Berman at doing that sort of stuff. And some people say nobody works harder than Mark Berman. Cause if you know, Mark, I, I don't think he rests. I think it's like, he's got the phone by his bedside at night. And if something happens, he's ready to go at two or three o'clock in the yeah. morning and he just doesn't stop. So I, it's amazing to me that Sean, that he's going to try to quit this cold Turkey because I don't just, I can't imagine trying to, it's like trying to quit smoking cold Turkey for Mark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what it feels like. That's a really good analogy. I mean, you know, some sort of addictive substance, right? Like, you, you can't just put it down. Like, what I thought about that. Like, what is it going to be like for him? I thought about it the other day when I saw him driving through the parking lot. I'm like, shouldn't you be like Terminal C or like Toyota Center, NRG, Minute Maid, somewhere? There is some place for you to be right now, Mark, at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Something's happening. Like, get there, my man. Um, but, yeah, it, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I Today's his last day, you know, for a guy like that, you know, a, a month away, you know, personally could like kill a guy publicly. He might be fine. You know, somebody catches up with him. Hey, do you miss it? Nah, not one bit. You know, I'm ready. Like I've been planning this. I'm ready to go. He might be on a freaking cruise in Cancun or something by this time a month from now. Who knows? Um, he could use a tan. I know that. But, uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. All all respect to Berman, man. Um, and he's, I don't know how old of a guy he is, but he sure acts young enough. So whatever is in his future is that next phase. It's going to be something special, whether it's for his family, which I know is going to be included in anything he does. Um, but if it's something for the rest of us to enjoy and to take part in, obviously that would be really cool too. Well, good luck to Mark and we'll, convene again in a few days we'll have uh thursday we'll talk a little i'm sure there'll be some more astro stuff going on but uh definitely texans you're going to be out there right this uh next couple of days for that yeah uh tomorrow i will not be out there i'm actually hosting uh from 10 to 2 with john lopez on sports radio 610 but i'll be out there on wednesday and then uh any day forward if there's texans on the practice field i'll be there all right man sounds good we'll talk to you again in a couple of days all right man enjoyed it you're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>